Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 56 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to the Hypnosis Weekly podcast. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have a wonderful show lined up for you today. In a short while I'll be sharing with you an interview with my guest Sonia Moziman. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis gets portrayed in the media and comment on some of the content of those stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Sonia Moziman. We'll be talking about the development of her Mind TV protocol for working with children using hypnosis. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub, and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go and give it a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. It'll help us and I'll be your BFF if you do. So first of all today, this week's interview. It's a real pleasure that I welcome Sonia Moziman from, uh, or who's based in Switzerland, uh, onto the show today. Uh, Sonia has been at the vast majority of major hypnosis conferences and conventions in the past year, and will be presenting here in the UK later this year. Also, I invited her to join me to discuss her work and talk a little bit about what what it is that she's been presenting. I must say that when we uh, initially spoke before we started recording, um, um, we were we were on video call, and you can tell that Sonia is a former dental technician. She undoubtedly has the best set of teeth I've ever seen in any hypnotherapist. For now, though, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. <music> So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome to Hypnosis Weekly the one and only Sonia Moziman. Sonia, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So, first of all, tell us, tell us a bit about yourself. How did you get into this field? Well, it was uh, probably about six years ago when I was working as a dental hygienist at a dental practice. It was a hypnotherapist that came to me to have his teeth cleaned. And um, I saw in the system that he was he was a hypnotherapist 
And um, I was immediately immediately intrigued and interested because I'd never actually met a hypnotherapist before. So this was something new for me. Um, after cleaning his teeth, I, I kind of did the weirdest thing. I followed my gut feeling and I asked him for a hypnotherapy session because it was this was this was going to be something new for me. So I asked him if I could have a hypnosis session to experience the so-called hypnosis for myself. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, one week later, I had a hypnosis session with him and I absolutely loved it. And the weirdest thing happened when I opened my eyes, um, Hansuri is the, his name. He smiled at me and he offered me a job straight away at the new, newly opened hypnosis session uh, center in Efreticon, Switzerland. Wow. So, yeah, I know. And three weeks later, he's like, hey, I still have one space left, which never usually happens. Three weeks later, he says, come and do the Omni Hypnosis Education with me, which probably really was um, definitely a highlight in my life. And um, I've been working there and also as a hypnotherapist ever since. I know that I'm pretty much without a doubt that it's probably my destiny. So it wasn't me finding the job. The job kind of found me. So just just knowing that, I, I think it's something really special. Wow. Um, um, and so, so you were you were a dental technician. What about what? What was your background up to that point? Um, well, originally I'm from New Zealand, so I was born in New Zealand, and I lived there until I was about age nine. Um, my father, he's Swiss, but it was actually my mother, New Zealander. She wanted to come to Switzerland, and so I've been now living here in Switzerland since about 1989. I did my basic education and then I did my apprenticeship as a dental assistant and then went French because I wanted to become a flight attendant. So I learned French. Uh, I was a flight attendant for over a year and um, I did pursue the occupation of flying around the whole world um, until I got married in 2001. Um, I furthered my education, so I'm, I, it's all the background is mostly, mostly based from dentistry. Mm. I then did uh, dental practice manager, so I was a manager at the dental practice. Um, had a lot of people under me, um, working pretty much working directly under me, and I then education is in the field of dentistry um, of course from dentistry is where I met Hans Uri Wipf, um, which he calls himself Hans yeah then did the omni hypnosis training um, I then continued and did like medical um, orthogenic training and medical progressive muscle relaxation which I was then able to integrate and in, and in my sessions with hypnotherapy and you know just like most of us I, I visited maybe two to three seminars a year just to further my knowledge in the field of hypnosis I I did notice you know pretty uh, early on working as a hypnotherapist that I had kind of a flair for children and for teenagers. And so then I decided really early on, it was maybe even after four months of working as a hypnotherapist to specialize on the topic. So um, I'm a hypnotherapist for over five now, five years now. Great, great. So, so th through that journey, wh where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned? Tell me, tell me, how, how do you define hypnosis? Um, well, 
Hypnosis, it's, um, I mean, for the session, the induced hypnosis is a trance-like state that is characterized by relaxation. We have increased uh, suggestibility and heightened imagination, uh, imagination. So it is a relaxed state of uh, concentration. And this is where the sound and the conscious mind is pushed back into the background. So it's giving us access to subconscious information because that's you know that's what we want uh, it's like it's like opening a box to the movie of our life and allowing bad memories to come to the surface so that they can be reframed now with younger children so i'm saying maybe from age three to nine you will notice the increased suggestibility called relaxation so because they're going to be moving around in the chair. They maybe they're going to scratch their head, open and close their eyes. So there is often a lot of physical movement during the hypnosis. And this can be quite irritating for hypnotherapists not used to working with children. Mm. But, um, I mean, I can assure everyone this is absolutely normal. Yeah, yeah. And so do, do you explain hypnosis in those terms to your clients as well? Yeah, um, when I when I explain it to the clients, I I do it differently because a lot of parents come to me. They have hypnosis as the last resort because they've tried everything else. They've, they've they've gone and tried all the different kind of practices and alternative practices, and the parents are oftentimes they're really skeptical about what hypnosis really is. So I, I want to make a point to the parents and also emphasize that it has nothing to do with hocus pocus or with manipulation, but that, that the session is really based on, on this teamwork and that it will be a natural, that the child will be in a natural state. So I would say something like the following. I, I say, um, you know, to the parents that hypnosis is a natural state that we experience every day without, you know, even knowing it. So it can be while watching TV or when we're totally absorbed in a certain activity. So we pass through the hypnotic state when we go to sleep and when we wake up in the morning. So every one of us is in a hypnotic state at least two times a day. We can also be in a form of hypnosis while driving. And, you know, parents, they understand this really well because they've, they know exactly that they've been in the same situation where the conscious mind is occupied thinking about something, for instance, shopping list or going on holiday and the subconscious mind it just takes over and it drives the car so they're like an automatic pilot so parents do understand that that kind of metaphor and the easiest explanation of how hypnosis works with children is to tell them that they will be watching tv in their mind and that's also where the name mind tv came from was because i would always explain that to the child and to the parents that the child would be watching tv in their mind what wow. happens is that because the child knows what tv is it takes fear away so if i would say to a child would you like hypnosis they say oh no no uh -uh. but if i ask them do you want to watch tv in your mind they're like oh yeah come on let's do it uh -huh. so it kind of builds a really positive expectation if i if i explain it in that way excellent excellent so so tell me then, um, um, who are some of your major influences in this field? Um, um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about some of the books and authors that have taught you the most and what teachers have been the most influential upon you and, and the reasons why. 
Um, I, you know, I think my, my major influences in this field is, is definitely my teacher and co-worker Hans Woody Vip for Hans, mm -hmm. but also, you know, the man himself, Jerry Kine. I mean, he's, you know, he's one of the pioneers of hypnosis. I just find that, that the work and the philosophy and also the achieve, the achievements are very inspiring and definitely, um, important for the field of hypnotherapy. Um, another fascinating and inspiring person is Dr. Frederick Mao, who often speaks on the topic of neuroscience. He also talks about epigenetics and mindfulness. Now, I am so fascinated about the mind-body connection, and I know when my children are older, I'm going to start studying again, studying again, and it's definitely going to be in this field of neuroscience or something like that, because the more I understand about how the mind and the body work together, it just allows me to understand the child, the person, how it functions, and uh, I, can, I can solve issues faster that way. Um, because of this, also knowing that the mind-body connection, I was able to create the healthy human triangle, and I use that now in every single session that I have. Mm. I also have um, books. I would say just the general knowledge um, on the topic of hypnosis, Definitely the Hypnosis and Hypnotherapy by Jerry Kane and Carl Banyan. And of course, the Hypnosis Bible, I think we all know, which is the Dave Elman's Hypnotherapy. And, um, but kids, you know, let's, let's talk about books with kids. I can honestly tell you that when it comes to children's hypnotherapy, I'm pretty much a self-made woman because about six years ago when I, just almost six years ago now when I started Working with children, I could not find any literature to really help me in that in that in that area. So it was all pretty much learning by doing. So I read the child's body language. I instinctively feel what is right and what is wrong, and um, was able to perfect pretty much um, the art of um, children's hypnotherapy in that way. Not from books, but it was the children and the children in session. They taught me everything that I needed to know yeah. about children's hypnotherapy. And so um, this is what I, everything that I teach my students is based off of what I've heard, what I've seen or what I've experienced over the years. So yeah. not really from books. Yeah. Yeah. So um, um, throughout the years that you've been working, um, um, what's been what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you have directly witnessed, Sonia? Well, I mean, yeah, there's been so many amazing, just like amazing moments with the children, amazing changes where I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. But there is, you know, this one story that I also tell to my students and it really stands out because it's different. And the story, I call it the curious case of the girl with the electric shock jolts. So it kind of just the title sounds really interesting. Yeah, I want to hear about her. Yeah. <laughs> So what happened, it all started, a mother called me and um, she said that she needed help for her 10-year-old daughter who was experiencing these painful jolts. It was like electric shocks going through her body and it was every five to 10 seconds. And um, it was it was really, really painful for her. And she had had multiple checkups. She had been to the doctors. She'd been to neurologists, all the specialists possible, you know, in hospital. And they pretty much came to the point where they said, I'm sorry, we can't help you anymore. 
and uh, they gave the diagnosis that it was psychosomatic. So here's the mother. She's gone to everyone, and they pretty much said, I'm sorry, we can't help you anymore. And the child had been in hospital, had so many medication that the heart had stopped, and they had to, you know, re re relive her, you know, get her back uh, back here. And it was it was really difficult for the mother. So when she called me, of course, my head said, Okay, no, you know, leave this alone. This is a this is a really heavy case. Just leave it alone. But my my gut instinct says, yes, come on, let's 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 do it. And I think anyone that knows me, they always know that I only go with my gut instinct. So we then had the first session. Now, what was interesting in the first session is that she had two mind rooms, two mind rooms, which is very unusual because normally there's only one. And what we found out is that there was one mind room for her body. And there was one mind room for her, for, so her, the person inside the body. And in the body's mind room, everything, all the signals were green, meaning everything was fine. But in her mind room, there was a lot of red signals, meaning that a lot was wrong. So in search of answers, it did become really clear that this poor girl, she was actually trapped inside of her own body. So the body was doing what it wanted with her. It had all the control. We started to negotiate with the body, but the body wasn't interested in that point. She would talk with the body and the body would not answer or nor, or just maybe just a little bit. So um, at the first session, we just had to continue with a general emotional cleanup and resetting the buttons in her mind room. Um, the following sessions, so the second and third session was negotiating with the body. And it became more and more fruitful. So the more contact, the more talking with her body, also the more contact she had with her inner friend, she started to build this relationship and with her, with her and her inner friend, making the person that was living inside of the body stronger and stronger. Um, and the body would, would say, okay, and it, it started to give less, more and more of the power, it started to give it to the, her and the inner friend. Um, so... You know, more and more, step by step, we, we started to restore the balance of the healthy human triangle, which is the friend, the inner friend, the outer friend, and the body, which is also something that I developed. It was the fourth session that was the breakthrough. And um, normally I have one to three sessions maximum, and then the, this, the, the issue is solved. Um, but, of course, in this case, I had to have short sessions and uh, multiple sessions. So it was in the fourth session that was the breakthrough. And what happened in this session is that the body said, I'll give you 100% power. So she talked with the body, body said, it's okay. So it was in the fourth session that she became the boss of her body. And she had 100% power. Now, it was two and a half hours later after this fourth session that her mother confirmed you with an email that, that these jolts had stopped and they never came back. And I know for a fact that they never came back. So this was something that, you know, I read her emails and just goose, I goosebumps. Everyone was like, oh, my goodness, you know. Mm. I was amazed at the, the power of the mind, but also the power of hypnosis. So this is, this is definitely, for me, one of my favorite stories because yeah. it's so real and so amazing. No one could help but hypnosis. And I found that amazing. Yeah, cool, so, cool. So um, if, if you go back to when you started out as a, as a hypnotherapist, a hypnosis professional, knowing, knowing what you do, knowing what you know now, having been through the experience you've been through now, is there anything you'd do differently? And if so, what? Um, well, you know, I think honestly, I, I can say that I'd, I'd probably do it all again because 
I've come pretty far in the path that I've gone down. And even though, you know, I've, I was a single mum doing a, a lot by myself and it was it was really difficult. I'm really realistic. I know that success is earned. Like if you want success, you have to earn it. You can't just sit back and hope for it to come. So um, I was realistic that success is earned and that's not just given. Uh, I, I was privileged, though, to I always had a constant flow of clients so I had a lot of people coming to me. Of course, this gives me more and more practice um, to, to, to get better in the field. It built up my self-confidence and it just my level of hypnosis was, was able to get better because I had so many clients. I would also say, though, that the basic, you know, my the Omni hypnosis training for me personally, I think it was the right choice because it gave me the perfect foundation that I needed to work on. Yeah. The, I mean, I said, you know, when it came to children's hypnosis, I pretty much all oh, learning by doing it. I really mean that, you know, watching the child, reading the, the body language. So the learning by doing experience was hard, but it did help me overcome insecurities and boundaries and just go that extra step for, uh, further. So, you know, in the long run, it was very positive. Looking back, I, I wouldn't change anything. I'd, I'd probably do the same again. Great, great. Um, um, is, is there any advice, though, that the person you are today would give that younger you starting out that, that, you'd, that you'd share with, uh, with our listeners and hypnotherapists of today? Um, I think I would say probably the following to the, to the younger me. I would say that she should, you know, believe in herself and her abilities, that she should just have fun during session. Um, I would tell her that she doesn't need to be a doctor or a psychologist to, to help people because sometimes that her instincts are oftentimes more accurate than the things that, that she could, that is written in books or she can learn from books, that she should never give up and should always keep striving to get better and that she might not be able to help everyone but hey, you can try. So I tell her, just you know, keep trying, and you you might not be able to help every single child or every single person, but um, but it's always worth the try. I would tell her to that if she gave her best during every session, that she will be rewarded with with customers, positive feedback, you know, um, full working schedules. Um, that success does come to those that work hard for it. <clears throat> Excuse me, and. I would also say that she should stay true to her personality and that she shouldn't change for anyone because it's, you know, in session, it's who you are as a person that is also, it comes across to the client, to the children, to the per people that you work with. And it's really, really important to keep, to stay who you are as a person. And people really do um, like that. They do see that. Now, I think, I, would, I mean, I would give the same advice to hypnotherapists, but to hypnotherapists working with children I would advise them to listen to the instincts because they're usually always right I would tell them to read the child's body language I would tell them to never give up because there's almost always a way for teamwork with the child I would tell them to start working with children straight away and not to wait for the right moment because I know from experience the right child's problems they're already inside the child's body so they just need to allow it to come to the surface because all the answers are already there that's what i tell them yeah 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 um, um i love some of the things you were talking about as far as um i'm um, um, being congruent is concerned you know um 
Um, um, we're going to be we're, we're going to be back and, and chatting in a short while about 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 the, the this notion of the, the mind TV that you've pioneered. Um, for now, though, where can people go and learn more about your work and your approach to hypnosis? Well, there's um, there's three different places. Um, definitely the Mind TV website. Mind TV is really new. I just presented it in the NGH convention, the international one in Marlborough in August 2016. So um, if you want to you want to go look at that, that is www.mindtv-method.com. So that's mindtv-method.com. That's a purely um, it's an it's a pure online education with this new kind of regression method for children, which can be used from children age three upwards. It can be for hypnotherapists, also for practitioners or coaches. So it's it's basically for someone that wants um, something exciting and something new for their toolbox when they yeah. want to work with children. Um, then also the, the Hypno Kids um, education, that's in Switzerland and only in German at the moment. We are probably going to expand to America and, you know, the English field. So that's hypnokids.net, hypnokids.net. Yeah. And basically that's everything about the basic hypnosis or hypnotherapist, uh, hypnotherapy with children and teenagers. So that would be from inductions, deepeners, regressions, methods, and so on. And, of course, um, you know, sessions with me um, in Switzerland is uh, Kinder, which is like kindergarten. Huh? Yeah. So kinder minus hypnose.ch. So that's for therapy sessions with me. Great, great. There will be links to all of those websites um, over at this particular episode's page on the Hypnosis Weekly website. And we will be back with Sonia Moziman in just a few short moments. I enjoyed that. Um, did you hear me at the end of that interview? We'll be back in just a shoe. <laughs> uh, also, my apologies for the sound quality there from time to time. We had a bit of a poor line that was rectified and was not a problem at all for our second discussion, which is coming up with Sonia um, in a short while. On to this week's hypnosis in the news then. As I've done on numerous occasions in the past, I just wanted to highlight something that's been referred to on numerous occasions on this podcast. Because back on the 1st of September, I listed a bunch of articles and discussion group contributions that I'd made over recent years. And um, I had a bit of a focus on our social media channels, our output, on the notion of the subconscious mind in the field of hypnosis and hypnotherapy. If you go follow my social media channels, um, I'm, 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 you, 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 can, you can go and have a look at that. Um, I'm, 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 but um, a lot of great debate ensued. And for the most part, um, I had a lot of open-minded discussion with people prepared to examine their own thoughts on the topic. And though I fa stand firmly in one particular camp on this debate, I'm absolutely open to anyone proving to me that there is such a thing as a subconscious mind that exists and has characteristics and so on. However, that's not my main point today, because I had two people write to me when they'd, they'd seen these articles, two hypnotherapists um, um, write to me, who were vehemently defending the notion of the subconscious mind. They seemed really invested in it, and it was a part of their fundamental professional stance, and they were pretty miffed with me for suggesting that there was no such thing, or for even questioning it. 
Um, therefore, I had a really good discussion with them both, and both of them, in reply to me questioning the evidence that such a subconscious mind exists and asking them if they could prove it scientifically, they both turned round and said to me, well, can you prove that it does not exist? And suggested that if I could not do so, that was explanation for holding the belief um, that it did exist. So it was at that point that I'm going to introduce, well, that, that I introduced something to them, and I'll introduce something similar to you, which is Russell's teapot. Russell's teapot is an analogy that was coined by the philosopher Bertrand Russell, who passed away, sadly, in 1970. The analogy was used to illustrate that a burden of proof lies upon a person making a claim rather than shifting the burden of disproof to others. I'm hoping you're seeing the relevance of this now. Russell applied this teapot analogy to religion mainly and in his article that was titled Is There a God back in 1952 Bertrand Russell wrote the following. I will quote him. Many orthodox people speak as though it were the business of sceptics to disprove received dogmas rather than of dogmatists to prove them. This is, of course, a mistake. If I were to suggest that between the Earth and Mars there is a China teapot revolving around the sun in, in an elliptical orbit, no one would be able to disprove my assertion, provided I were careful to add that the teapot is too small to be revealed even by our most powerful telescopes. But if I were to go on to say that since my assertion cannot be disproved, it is intolerable presumption on the part of human reason to doubt it, I should rightly be thought to be talking nonsense. If, however, the existence of such a teapot were affirmed in ancient books, taught as the sacred truth every Sunday, and instilled into the minds of children at school, hesitation to believe in its existence would become a mark of eccentricity and entitle the doubter to the attentions of the psychiatrist in an enlightened age or of the inquisitor in an earlier time. So this was Russell Bertrand, um, uh, Bertrand Russell in um, um, Is There a God? Um, 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 and, and what Bertrand Russell was simply saying that if he were to suggest without having any proof to support it, that there is a teapot flying around in space orbiting the sun somewhere between the planets of Earth and Mars, he would not expect anyone to believe this purely because his assertion could not be proven wrong. Well, it is there, actually. It's flying around in space and you can't prove it's not there, which is proof it is. So, you know, I recommend um, um, that you go and Google the notion of the burden of proof. You know, it will illuminate if you are new to it. Russell's teapot has influenced much philosophical, scientific and religious debate. And now it's, it's influenced some hypnosis debate. Hurrah for us. Um, now, because I sent both of the aforementioned two people who had engaged in discussions with me about the existence of the subconscious mind, this particular, I sent them this particular snippet from Bertrand Russell, along with a clear explanation of what is meant by the burden of proof. And though they remained unyielding in their stance and belief about the subconscious mind, they did both retract their demands for me to prove that the subconscious mind did not exist. You know, prove that it does not exist. You know, it, it, it's a crazy idea, really, to suggest that because you are unable to prove that something does not exist, 
this is somehow and, and perversely to me enough proof to suggest and believe that it does therefore exist. Heck though, the field of hypnosis and hypnotherapy has and probably always will be a fairly crazy place filled with crazy ideas. Um, um, and, 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 and such is, such is this, this field that we work in. Um, links to, to the references and the stories that I'm talking about um, here today are listed under this week's podcast entry on www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up... We have this week's professional discussion then. I welcome back Sonia Muzziman and uh, Sonia has just created a very particular protocol uh, that she's been showcasing around the world, which is a process designed to help children using hypnotherapy and regression techniques called Mind TV. And that's what we discuss here. So here is this week's professional discussion with Sonia Muzziman. The sound is much better for this one. Enjoy. So I'm joined once again by this week's guest, Sonia Mozziman. And um, um, as, as you heard Sonia mention in the interview section earlier on in today's show, uh, she made reference to uh, something that she's pioneering called Mind TV that she presented about um, at, uh, at, at the recent NGH conference. And, um, and today I wanted to, to ask her about that. Um, um, welcome back, Sonia. Tell us then... Tell us, what's the background? Um, how did Mind TV come about? What's the history behind it? Well, it wasn't really something I planned. So, I mean, elements of it started about five years ago. And over time, it kind of just developed into something a lot bigger. I, it, I think it all started when I was using regression with children, so purely over the emotions. And I noticed that Oftentimes the child was overwhelmed. So even though I knew that the child, you know, without a doubt was in a hypnotic state, no subconscious answers would would come to the surface. I mean, I had used the direct route of regression over the emotions with adults many times before successfully. And um, and so I knew how it worked and, and how it was meant to proceed. But with younger children, again and again, I would kind of reach a dead end trying to find the root of the matter and I would then just have to continue purely with positive suggestions so I, I did quickly notice that children have difficulties grasping and holding on to um, and even understanding the emotions that are inside of them but I, I, I also understand understood quickly that I needed to find an easier way for regression with children at that time, you know, I didn't have any literature. I didn't find anything much on the subject. So I had to be like a pioneer and, and, and see, you know, where it would lead me. So I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying regression a, a lot. And at this point, I want to mention why regression is so important, because I have heard and also read from many hypnotherapists that they disadvise regression with children. But I want to say that it's important because it adds an extra puzzle to the therapy, an extra piece to this therapy puzzle and allows a picture of understanding to form so that memories of the past with, say, for instance, thorn like feelings can be reframed. It can be neutralized so that those memories no longer affect us in our present day life. So 
it is true that, you know, the direct route of regression may overwhelm children. But MindTV, the, the new way of regression with children, it never does. And the reason because of that is because I broke the regression into four steps. So we have four steps um, to regress with children. These four steps, they were perfected over maybe like hundreds of sessions, just trying and failing and trying and failing again with children until I began to see uh, a success pattern. And then later on, um, to complement this four-step method, I developed the healthy human triangle and the arm drop process. And these are things that I use now every day in session. Great, great. So what, to, to tell me, what, what actually is it then? So, so what is Mind MindTV? Uh, to, to tell me a little bit about, about how it works. Um, well, MindTV is a new form of regression with children, and uh, it can be used from age three upwards. And I know regression with a three-year-old, but because it's so simple and so easy, it's you can. I've worked with three-year-olds, and it works really well. Four-year-olds, five-year-olds, it works good. Um, what we actually do by telling the child that they will be watching TV in their mind, so this is a course where the name Mind TV comes, the visualization actually um, visualization is activated because you tell the child you'll be watching TV in your mind. Uh, it's it's a suggestion. So giving the suggestion that they will, then they do. And this visualization is activated. What happens is that also the door to the subconscious mind is opened. Um, also visualizing that unwanted feeling with their inner eyes, so not an inner eye, their inner eyes, makes it become graspable and also easier to change or to extract out of the body. So they actually look with their inner eyes. I tell them to look with their inner eyes and they tell me what the feeling looks like. So we lead the child through four steps of Mind TV, and they are will be step one, so that's feeling the unwanted feeling. Then will be step two is actually transforming the unwanted feeling into an object. So it makes it makes the feeling graspable and extractable when it's turned into an object. So this is pretty much one of the main features or unique features of Mind TV. Then we have step three is actually regressing back in time using the object as a guide to find the age when the unwanted feeling started. And then step four is regressing also back with the object as a guide, but finding the day when the seed of the unwanted feeling was sown. So when it started. So we want to know the age and the day. And of course, with younger children, I all they have to do is just see the object and pull it out. So with three-year-old, I'm not going to go to step three or four. I'm just going to stay to step one and two and pretty much seeing it, visualizing it, pulling it out, seeing, you know, maybe maybe sometimes you go to step three if needed. Um, pulling out the object can, can sometimes uh, be enough. So using these three steps, we then work our way up the time bridge of the movie of their life to the child's present age, and then we go one year into the future. So... In a nutshell, this is kind of this is my TV, and this is how it works. Mm, mm. And and it, is there is there a typical type of issue that 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 that, that you're working with um, most prevalently, or, or or and are there things are there types of issues that this is this is better at working with than others? Do you think, or or, or is it is it just fine to be applied across the board with with virtually any therapeutic issue? Um, well, we know that every issue that we have, it always has an underlying negative feeling. So even even if it's learning problems, sometimes there's a negative feeling connected to it. So 
I every issue does have an underlying negative feeling and so this negative feeling we can visualize it and it doesn't matter if it's if it's nervousness it doesn't matter if it's fear it doesn't matter if it's can be frustration or even being bored boredom is is a huge thing that I work with with children that that people a lot of times they undermine like boredom is very very big um and so no matter what it is they can visualize it and if they can visualize it they can take it out of their body now um Fear is, of course, something really big that I work with a lot with children. So fear is something that comes almost every day in school problems. So every school problem there is or fear, there's definitely something that I can use my TV with. The thing is, I don't just use it with children. I also use it with grown-ups because sometimes grown-ups also they have problem grasping an emotion, a feeling. But also if they have if they have a feeling and they, they're not quite sure, is it frustration that I'm feeling? Is it fear? I don't know what this feeling is that I'm feeling. It doesn't matter. If you can visualize it, you can extract, you can take it out of, of your body, you can disassemble it. Now, one special feature, another thing is that I tell them that the feeling that they have, did you build it yourself or did you receive it from someone? Now, if it's an object, I can disassemble it myself if I built the feeling myself. If I did not build the feeling myself, I give the, the object back to the owner. So this is a really, really important feature, and it works pretty much on every topic. Great, great. Um, um, and so if people want to go and learn more about this themselves, it's the same website, www.mindtv-method.com. Exactly, yes. Great, great. Sonia, thank you ever so much for telling us about that, for coming and sharing um, um, so generously here on Hypnosis Weekly. Um, um, I will look forward to meeting you in October. And uh, for anybody else that's, uh, that's tuning in today, go uh, explore Mind TV over at the website. There'll be links to that on this particular episode. All that remains for me to say, Sonia Mosiman, thank you very much. Thank you, Adam. It was a pleasure. Okay, uh, we're back. Where am I? I'm not fully together this week. Oh, yes, our evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. So, this week, in a study entitled Self-Hypnosis in Attenuation of Asthma Symptoms Severity, um, published in 2009 by Zoberi and colleagues in the Journal of Applied Sciences, it was shown that self-hypnosis training is an effective treatment for the reduction of asthma symptoms severity. The asthmatic patients who were randomly allocated to the self-hypnosis group in this study experienced a significantly greater change in the dysnomia um, symptom in, in the sorry, excuse me dyspnea symptom scores that the control group um, um, than the control group. Um, 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 so it was shown those that had self-hypnosis training were able to reduce the asthma symptoms much more than those in the control group. Um, according to the results then, self-hypnosis can improve symptoms in asthmatic patients. And I love that stuff. Love it. Love it. Um, full study details can be found over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. So that is it for this week's 56th edition. 
I do have many more exciting guests that I'll welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. And to repeat, all the references made in the discussions, along with the related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Now, my guest next time out is the one and only gold record-owning, best-selling hypnosis audio man, Mr. Glenn Harold. Exciting stuff. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. So please do message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to really help us reach the hypnosis field. Thanks again to Sonia Moziman. Uh, thanks to you all for tuning in as you do each week. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, Goodbye for now.